Welcome to part one of this episode from the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. I'm Tom Halen, an M&A based uh, corporate partner at DLA Piper. And I'm joined today by Duncan Down, Transaction Services Partner at Deloitte, and Will McDonald, uh, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder at Starleaf. Today, we're going to be discussing our European Tech Index 2020. And, and that index looks at the perception across 350 uh, various sized businesses from 10 million up to 1.5 billion in Europe and looks at the perceptions and changes in, in the startup market. Um, so but before I start and before we get down to the detail, could I please ask Duncan and Will uh, to introduce themselves? Over to you first, Duncan. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on. So I'm Duncan Down. I'm a, as you said, I'm a transaction services partner with Deloitte. So my day job is uh, is carrying out due diligence for companies and their investors on acquisitions, disposals and refinancings. Um, one of my side jobs is I'm the uh, lead partner for our Tech Fast 50 programme, which for the last 23 years has, uh, has been all about identifying and celebrating the, the fastest growing tech businesses in the UK. That's then replicated across Europe in our EMEA 500 programme. Thank you very much, Seth Duncan. Will? Yes, Tom, thank you. Will McDonald, uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at Starleaf. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Starleaf, and Starleaf is a cloud-based video conferencing service. And what's interesting is my previous startup that I was involved with was Codian, and uh, Codian was an infrastructure-based video conferencing service. So it's quite fun to go from the old world where we were a decade ago to the new world, which is which is cloud-based. I think it's also well, well, worth mentioning, Will, that you've been Fast 50 winners four years in a row. Oh, well, I wasn't <laughs> going to brag Well, you, you may as well brag because you don't get, I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal position to be in. And, and I'm sure that whole video conferencing as we, as we get into talk a little bit more uh, about the index and some of the changes that you have seen because of COVID will, will really come to life and some of the experience, there'll be real value in that. Um, it's been an interesting year for us, that's for sure. And, and indeed, and, and for us as well, and also an interesting timing of, of this index, because the information um, for the index was gathered whilst we were, we were in the middle of lockdown, or most of Europe and most of the world was in the, in the middle of lockdown. So, so perhaps, perhaps we could start there. H how have you seen changes? How has COVID impacted the startup scene, Duncan? Perhaps we could kick off with you. Yeah, sure. So um, it's it's definitely been a, a journey, and I'm sure Will will uh, will will agree with this. But the I, I, th I think initially um, everyone's focus was on safety, security of both people and and the business itself. So we saw um, everyone moving to a home working environment, which for a lot of startups that was a um, I don't want to say easy, but it was quite a natural thing to do. Um, but then you start thinking about security in terms of um, data and assets, but also lo longevity in terms of people being able to work from home um, and, and the, the well-being that goes with that. I think people inevitably focused on funding um, and the banks were just inundated with requests to draw down just anything and everything in terms of facilities. And even if they weren't needed, people were just drawing down everything for, again, for that security in terms of funding. Um, they, they 
borrowed money from the government in terms of time to pay and other facilities that were made available. And then that's kind of um, that's kind of evolved. And then you know, having got that security and and um, uh, and and sort of safeguarding in place, people then thought about what are we going to do now? And you know, attention very quickly moved on to product and the offering. And is there anything that we need to accelerate or decelerate in terms of roadmap? Um, and what we're doing for our customers, given the, the the brave new world. And and talking about changes in products, what what did what did Starleaf see? How did how did it impact your product and, and take up of that product? Well, it's just been a roller coaster for us this year. Um, so when when people started working from home, over the course of about three weeks, we saw a tenfold increase in our in our usage, and. Uh, and and we had to just go crazy uh, deploying servers and opening up new data centers. And so that was just a crazy three weeks of driving around. And I was supervising a lot of them. And I managed to get COVID during that. Wow. And, and so that was the, the initial impact was just a massive spike in usage. And that was followed by a massive spike in licensing. So, you know, financially, we did quite well initially in, in the COVID in the COVID initial era. But one of the things about our business is we've historically led from meeting room systems. You know, we have, we have sold meeting room systems, we manufacture them. Um, we're moving towards third party meeting room systems now, but basically meeting rooms was a big part of our story. And of course, once people are working from home, they're not deploying meeting rooms anymore. So we've had to have a change in our focus to be much more focused on the individual user, the user working from home. So we've restructured our pricing, we've reprioritized all of our features to try and directly address the individual user. So, so Duncan, how, how have you seen how you interact with your, your colleagues change? Have you, have you seen the same thing that, that Will's seen? And, and are you happy actually with, with what, the industry is producing by way of a virtual conferencing. Do you, do you think there's a lot more that can be done with these platforms? Yeah, I think inevitably. I think you know, in in March, April, we all um, we all moved to some sort of video conferencing uh, solution, and it was all very new and exciting. And we thought, well, this is going to work, and we're going to be able to see each other, and that's going to be fine. Um, I think by by the end of the summer, fatigue had very much set in. And people were just keen to get back to business and get back to some form of normal. Um, you know, we we missed the human interaction for sure. Yeah, quizzes on um, quizzes on a video platform can only last so long, or wine tasting, or cheese tasting, or whatever you're doing. You know, it's um, it, it loses its edge a little bit. And we, as a firm, were were on the cusp of reopening many of our offices in September, just as the government sort of pivoted towards away from get to work if you can towards stay at home if you can yeah we saw a very similar thing we were back to uh 70 of the staff being back in the office three days a week so we were substantially back in the office before uh the government changed its advice and um and, and we thought things were going back to normal, but now we're looking at another six months in in lockdown. Actually, we're we're now looking at our platforms and uh, and 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 saying look, th this is for the longer term. Now it's not it's not just for three and a half months or four months. It's actually for for the longer term. So so how can we uh, 
how can we speak to people in a way that that, that replicates proximity? Because that's what we're missing at the moment, isn't it? it it's basic basic proximity. Um, well, you made a very interesting point before that, that one of your defining features is, is that you're not using the cloud, you have your own servers. I'm, I'm assuming that's from a, a security perspective. And, and quite interestingly, uh, security came out as, as one of the key issues in the index as area for growth. Uh, are you seeing a lot more of a focus on, on security, Rob? Well, security has always been high on our list, but absolutely one of the reasons we have it on servers is so that we can ensure the security. And an aspect of the security is you know, data sovereignty so that customers can keep their data in their country. And you know, although some of these clouds apparently have the ability to define where your data is going to be, it's never quite as convincing as, as walking a customer into the data center and saying, that server right there, but that's the one with your data on it. And so, yes, security, and, and of course, we've gone to, to huge efforts to get certifications. We've got the ISO 27000 certification. And um, and it's, it's yeah, especially in the light of when this, when people started working from home, there was just all kinds of publicity about, about security. And so it became really important. So do you do you do any sort of surveys of your clients? Can can you tell how security ranks when they're choosing you? Is it, it is it because of security? Is it twenty percent of the choice? Forty percent of the choice? Um, it, I mean, it's more of a veto thing. I think the business the business unit you know selects their product, and then security takes a look at it and says yes or no. So if you know, we just, we end up having to go through huge hoops to, to satisfy uh, the security in in these enterprises. And, you know. And are there any particular sectors that, that because of security, adopt your product more than, more than other sectors? Yes, uh, healthcare is one of our biggest. You know, the NHS here in the UK is, is a, one of our largest customers. Having patient, you know, patient security, patient uh, privacy uh, is really important in that space. So healthcare, yes, number one. Yeah, that's quite understandable. So, so Duncan, perhaps you can sort of comment a little bit on, on other startups you're seeing in the security sector. Are there, are there any, any interesting things you're seeing out there, any areas of focus? Um, I, I, I think in terms of who's, who's doing particularly well, there, there have definitely been some uh, some winners out of COVID. Uh, I think um, if you look at sectors like Internet of Things uh, is, is doing well, not only because of COVID and people moving to the remote world, but also we've got the advent of 5G, which will likely be an accelerant to that. Um, MedTech, as we were just talking about healthcare, you know, MedTech is, um, is faring well. Um, I, I think any, anyone who is providing some sort of infrastructure um, be that digging up roads and fields, laying fibre to, to give people high-speed broadband in remote areas or, or other forms of um, sort of tech infrastructure. They're doing well and have been largely uninterrupted by, um, by COVID because they're deemed an essential service and therefore can carry on regardless, which I think is important because we are going to need connectivity around the country. Um, and then anyone who's trading online and a kind of a, a natural e-commerce first business 
is inevitably a, a winner out of COVID. You know, anyone who has not got infrastructure rooted somewhere, be that shops or something else, they are simply much more nimble than others and therefore can adapt and, and thrive. That's, that's interesting. So, so talking about sort of next generation and, and 5G, um, so is that really, oh, have we, I mean, it, it took the internet 20 years to get to where it was. Everybody thought it was coming in the year 2000 and it never came then. And, and, and I would say, actually, it's just starting to deliver, starting to deliver on some of the promise that it has. And, but the things that people dreamt of in the year 2000, actually, it's going to require some 5G to deliver that, that type of thing. Well, just looking at you, the, do you think we're going to change sort of how we use headsets, how we interact using 5G? Will it enable you to bring that proximity back to or into the virtual world? See, I'm just not sure I agree with you at all, Tom. Um, I think in 2000, the internet was delivering. You know, we had changed so many things that, that we do. You know, from simple things like directions, we stopped getting directions. We started using webmail. And as the internet evolved and services became richer and richer and speeds became faster and faster, and then we got, you know, streaming video. And who would have believed that we'd be getting rid of TV and, and just streaming everything over the internet? We, you know, we had dial-up and then we had 300K DSL lines. And I think it's just continued to deliver and deliver. And, you know, I don't think we could even dream of the things that happened. I don't think we were dreaming of them. I think we're, we've got them now and we're assuming that we dreamt of them back then, but we couldn't have. And so is 5G going to make a difference to it? Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll be an incremental improvement. It'll make our mobile experience better. But, you know, the, a lot of experiences where I have a bad experience is not because of my access, but because of the backhaul, certainly on the mobile side. You go into London at the weekend, you've got full signal, but you won't get any data through it. So if the 5G doesn't come with the corresponding back-end upgrades, it's, it's not going to make any difference. So, so you, you, you actually don't think that we've got the infrastructure to cope with 5G? So even well, though people may come up have, with this? Yeah, we're going to have to upgrade it with it. Putting in towers is not going to be enough. We're going to need the service providers to increase their capacity into mm -hmm. the backbone. The backbone's fine. The backbone's got loads of capacity. Yeah. But, but now we just have to do the penultimate mile. So this is solving the last mile. Now we have to solve the mile before that. So thanks for that, Will. You make some very interesting points there about 5G and, and some of the issues that are with it. Um, the actual index and the, and the three key areas of opportunities that they saw in the index were, were smart cities, uh, media and entertainment, um, and the, the Internet of Things. Um, do you have any comments about those, those three top areas for impact on 5G? Well, certainly I do. The, the streaming, the, the one I'm going to jump onto is the media and the streaming because streaming is the closest to, to video conferencing. And so being able to deliver those higher speeds is going to be crucial. Um, when people are watching TV at home, they're going to want 4K quality, which is going to require way higher bandwidth. And, you know, with, with so many people working at home, the kids are at home, the parents are at home, 
the demands on the bandwidth in the in the home situation for that media is just going to keep on increasing. And we're moving towards higher resolution video for the conferencing. So I think absolutely I can see that demand for the streaming and the and the media. The Internet of Things, again, you know, you're going to, you want to be able to put the devices wherever you want. You want that um, in the home, at the end of the garden. You know, today Wi-Fi is just such a struggle to do those. If they can connect directly to the 5G network, that's just going to enable, you know, freedom of location wherever you put those devices. And then the, the smart cities isn't really my area of expertise. Maybe maybe someone else could comment on the, on the smart cities. Perhaps that's you, Duncan. <laughs> Being a preeminent expert on, on smart cities, I'm happy to, happy to comment. Um, so, so I think um, so smart cities and, and Internet of Things more, more broadly has been um, um, it's been a sort of slow march. You know, there hasn't been a, a, a revolution here in terms of the advent of things like Internet of Things. And I think, you know, Internet of Things, five years ago, people were thinking about um, they would be able to phone home and turn on their cooker or, you know, they'd get the fridge to pour them a, a cold glass of wine for when they when they arrived home. You know, we haven't seen that... Um, that um, uh, mass domestic appliance sort of plugging into the internet yet, albeit I think that is on the way. And when we get to things like 5G and we get to um, um, uh, network agnostic SIM cards, so soft SIMs and the like, that's when we'll start to see more of a kind of a radical move towards internet of things. And, and, and do you think that's a little bit in part because we haven't agreed the platform yet? So no one, we've all got like, 40 devices or 50 devices at home. And if you if you have to have a different platform for every single one of them, then then you just can't do it. We need a unifying platform. Do you do you think that, that that is one of the issues? Do you think we'll coalesce around some sort of platform that makes this stuff easy to use? I, I think so. I'm probably erring beyond my um um beyond my sort of my, my knowledge a little bit, but I think part of the issue here is who owns the consumer. And if if you allow the consumer to be quite fluid in terms of who they're contracting with, who they're dealing with, um, in the way that, say, a um, an agnostic SIM card would allow, carriers and, and handset sellers don't really like that, do they? Because they want to own their consumer and they want them to be their consumer and not be um, not be moving around from sort of day to day or month to month. So I think that there's definite friction around there as to you know who who whose consumer is it. Um, and that's going to take, I suspect, a, a while to resolve. We, yeah, we'll I, hopefully I completely agree with you, Duncan. I think the providers and the the, gener the people who are generating the services and the providers, they have no interest in having a generic platform. They want you using their platform. They want you stuck to it. The best and we're going to manage is your iPhone. From the consumer's point of view, that's the platform. You've got lots of apps. You get notifications on there. You've got one device, and that's all you need and, and do you I, see that? Do you see that as an issue in in, in your your business? Well, absolutely. In the absolutely, it is. We yeah. make sure that I mean we offer interoperability. So, you know, from a Starleaf system, you can join a Zoom meeting, you can join a Blue Jeans meeting, you can join a WebEx meeting. But if you join a Starleaf meeting, the experience you get is way better. And so, we don't encourage people to mix and match. We encourage people to stay on our platform. And that's a commercial reality. So, so just moving the conversation on a bit, um, 
one of the other issues where where we've seen sort of one of the areas for growth is is actually a traditional area acquisitions um and 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 we've seen some of the things but well perhaps duncan you could kick off as a transactional services partner you'll be sort of have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in mergers and acquisitions perhaps you could talk a little bit about what you've seen recently yeah i like to i, I like to think i have my finger on the pulse and and the um the reality is it's sort of March time, you know, the, the, the body was pretty much dead and cold. Um, you know, M&A stopped um, around the time of, uh, of the pandemic hitting, certainly the UK. Uh, there were anything that was live in terms of transactions or processes, people tried to, to push them on and get them to a close. But the reality is many, many didn't. Everything got parked. Um, people just focused on, you know, safety and security of their own businesses without worrying about M&A. Um, and then there was a period of a few months where financial investors kind of stared at their portfolios and thought, oh, we can't do new deals because unless you can meet people in the flesh and you can, you know, you can get to know folk, how can you invest in them? Um, and, and then you had a period of a few months where um, at the end of that, frankly, everybody just got a bit bored and wanted to get back to doing M&A, which is what they, what they know and understand. Um, and, and there is this... Um, this this wave of money that has to be spent, you know, there's there's more private equity money now than there's ever been, I think, in terms of the the, the dry powder available. Um, the issue more is on the supply side. There aren't enough good businesses to spend it on, and therefore competition is really really high, and pricing remains really really high. Um, what we've seen definitely through the latter part of the summer and now into the autumn is. M&A is back on the agenda for sure and that's at every level that's you know positive M&A uh, financial investors buying great businesses for growth that is um, uh, defensive M&A if you like where somebody's trying to put two businesses together in order to drive uh, synergies both you know positive re revenue synergies and cost synergies and at the kind of other extreme end where businesses are really struggling off the back of COVID Actually, you're seeing them start to engage in M&A because they need to, you know, because even if things are, are looking pretty bad, you, you're better together than you are alone. And therefore, buying for scale it, it, it is equally quite important in that scenario. Yeah. So, well, doubtless you speak to your, your co-founders and, and you talk about M&A and the, and the buyout. What's happening? What's the gossip? Um. The, 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 you know, I'm more familiar with industry M&A rather than the private equity style. And the M&As I've been involved with in my, in my career have all been industry-based. And in our industry, we, we've seen some, some movement in the last couple of years. Um, but the, the most interesting transaction that happened during COVID was one of the companies within our space actually did an IPO. On, uh, on the Norwegian Stock Exchange, and it was completely virtual. Obviously, the IPO market's only ever open when there's confidence. And, yeah. uh, and so that, that is a sign that, that, that actually for the right businesses, the, 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 market's, the market's not bad because people have had to move on. They've, and, and one of the other things that, that's come out and looking at future growth things come out of the index uh, is, is people talking about how uh, COVID is, has advanced the digitization that was going on in any event. And, and so there have definitely been winners winners out of COVID. Are, 
But are you seeing are you seeing people rapidly evolve their business models, Will, that you're dealing with? Are you seeing your clients rapidly change their business models? Well, yeah, they, they, yeah absolutely. They have no choice. They have to move uh, and accelerate their digital transformation. I think, and I don't, as you were saying earlier, Tom, it's not a short-term thing. This is here for a while. And so it's not just working from home. It's the whole digital platform that's needed. Yeah. And, and, and Duncan, would you like to sort of sort of comment there? What what, what businesses have you seen advance the quickest? Who have who have said, uh, well, we need to actually change the way we we, we interface with our our customers. So, in um, among tech businesses, it's more straightforward because they are they're typically much more nimble, so they can pivot quite quickly. You know, if they need to change direction or change strategy or dial down one product, dial up another, not to say it's not hard and takes an awful lot of effort, but they can do it much, much quicker than a traditional um, uh, longer standing business. People have to evolve rapidly and have to look to digitization. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode from the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. And please look out for part two, where we will be continuing the discussion with Duncan and Will.